Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm a professor at the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, and I'm back home after spending a week doing a bunch of neuro rehab and... I also haven't had any caffeine for six days until just now. So wow, I know it was crazy. I'm like, well, I might maybe I should dry myself out at the same time. <laughs> you know this. You know how I dry myself out. You're gonna laugh at this, but like, I didn't have any caffeine. Like, when I have to get up really early, I actually bite a caffeine pill in half and hit the snooze button. Right, like like the caffeine oh, snooze yeah. trick. Caffeine power nap. Right. Uh, yeah, my brother used to do it in the afternoon, like straight up power nap. I, I just do it like when I – because I'm getting old enough that I'm just not going to be jumping out of bed bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you know. And, <laughs> uh, and then I can make it to my to the coffee pot, <laughs> and then I drink. <laughs> the funny thing, though, because ca- like Kelly always jokes, like caffeine to make it to your caffeine, you know. Yeah. But first of all, I think caffeine's a pretty good drug, but – when you use it wisely. Also, I drink half-calf coffee, so that way I'm not stacking full-calf onto the caffeine pill, right? So I don't go to work um, jittering and you know lecturing like an auctioneer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when I dry out, uh, like I've actually – the past couple of days, it's funny you said that. I haven't done that, right? Because it's – I'm a teacher in the summer, so it's online. It's not like I have to be somewhere you know, by 7.30 this morning in the lab or whatever – so I've been eschewing the caffeine pill and just drinking the half-calf. But I'm telling you, by itself, it doesn't do a lot. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. do a lot. Anyway. Yeah. I also have this weird thing, even when I use caffeine, which is most of the time I like caffeine and coffee, I try so hard not to do it in the morning. So if I can get through my little morning routine, do some aerobic stuff, go for a walk, jump in the freezer, that kind of thing, because I find if – I start using caffeine that early in the morning, the amount I use just gets crazy. Oh. And then I feel like I don't have any sort of gauge where my body is other than measuring heart rate variability and some other stuff. Yep. So I kind of force myself to sometimes suffer through the, the morning just so I don't fall into the habit of just – otherwise, I would be drinking coffee 24-7. <laughs> yeah. I kind of do that when I'm at work. I think the students always laugh. It's, it's funny um, how they identify me. They don't realize that a lot of times I'm drinking, you know, half-calf. Uh, I can't yeah. bring myself to drink straight decaf for some reason. Um, 
Yeah. But we finally found a couple of decaps that are actually not too bad, but yeah, even then only on rare occasions do I go for the decaf. Yep. Hey, and professional segue, um, we're going to talk about superfoods, and I think coffee probably is one of those, honestly. They're, the phytochemicals yeah. and everything in the coffee, and people get more antioxidants in the U.S. from coffee, according to several reports, than from fruits and vegetables. I mean, wow. Um, anyhow, uh, so that's what we're going to talk about after we do some mail and news, everybody, is Mike and I are going to give our top three superfoods. Um, maybe defining that and whatnot after the break. So if you don't like the news, you can skip forward now. Um, <laughs> but but uh, mail and news, let's do this here. This first one, uh, Fortress sent this to me. So Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, he's alive. I, yeah, he's alive. He's just not, you know, he just forged me stuff, and I, and I appreciate it. And honestly, I keep the web link on ironradio.org pointing to him <laughs> just, to, oh, yeah. just to poke the idea. bear. Um, and then he just sends me stuff and then he'll call me every once in a while but so this is from Gary he says uh, I'm a long time listener I was wondering if you guys have any thoughts uh, or review of the products from Jackish Medical Uh, I've heard uh, this guy on another podcast he made some pretty extreme claims about the product thanks Gary Uh, I did take a quick look at this Gary and my skeptical, you know, salty old professor mind sees some uh, – I'm just going to say marketing tropes that I've seen in other circumstances, right? Now, maybe you have to do some of that, right? Mike and I actually wrestle with this behind the scenes when we come up with show topics and stuff. Like, is this tired? And it's like, well, that's what people are asking. And <laughs> um, So I see a lot of the typical kinds of marketing things going on there. Uh, it looks like there's a combination of like uh, – as I just browsed around briefly, vibration platforms, um, bands, like exercise bands. Uh, and there's some claims about GH release and that kind of stuff. But, Mike, you said you were somewhat familiar. Uh, any, like, gold nuggets you, you picked out of this or th- your thoughts? Yeah, so the main product, as far as I can tell, is an X3 bar, which is a bar with just a band around it, which is kind of a cool idea. I mean, I think if you're you know, traveling and you're trying to replicate some movements in the gym, but you just, you know, don't have a lot of space. It's probably kind of a cool idea because you could do, you could simulate bands with deadlifts and bench press and other things with the bar that if you only had bands are harder to do. And also with bands itself, a lot of times holding on to them is kind of tricky. So having a bar is probably a little bit better. Um, I mean, my bias, if you have access to a, weights and dumbbells and stuff i don't know if it's going to be very superior i don't know what that would be based on Mm -hmm. um but again i think it depends on you know what are you using it for and hey if you don't have access to a gym you don't have you know dumbbells and you can get a setup like that and do different exercises probably good you know doing some stuff like that once in a while as a adjunct i think is is fine you can make an argument for all sorts of stuff from flywheel-based devices to isometrics to everything else. Good point, yeah. I I don't think it's going to be superior than weight training or that grow muscle three times faster than with weights, which I don't don't know about that. (laughs) Right, yeah, the grow three times faster, or I'm I'm not a big fan of the 
Amazon-esque looking check mark, like green check boxes next to all of, you know, the in-house products. And then dumbbells have a couple of green checks, but then some red X's. Yeah. And uh, everybody that listens to our show, I think, knows that dumbbells are a tool and they can be used very effectively for different purposes. You know, like if you want to be, if you're after GH release, you might do some more rapid succession sets, a little bit more like... um explosive, intense, maybe you're fasted. I mean, there's different ways that you can approach a workout sure. depending on your goals. And so, yeah, to say that, yeah, it's su- superior uh, for GH release or something like that. I mean, let's face it, GH release in guys our age during exercise is pretty minimal <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, and that kind of stuff. And is it going to transform your physique? No. And so I like what you said about you could – you could actually find literature to support, if you want to cherry pick, almost any approach as being superior yeah. in some way. Uh, so that's why you need a, a balanced you know, outlook. And, and again, even when it's evidence-based, you can find evidence on multiple sides. So it's just, it's, in my opinion, I know you were just saying this, Mike, before we hit the record button. It's better just to have a more honest, sobering, you know, instead of making extreme claims. And again, maybe exercising... Um, marketers they need to do that to get people's attention these days but i find people appreciate just a, a sober honest approach you know uh, yeah obviously that's our our bias and maybe that costs us some money too which is fine i don't really care anymore but <laughs> yeah yeah it's true everyone's gonna always gravitate towards the stuff they would buy too you know so that's always what's mm-hmm. hard about that um I have listened to, he had a, I think he also does Osteo Strong, and I've listened to a podcast he had on that, and that was actually kind of super interesting about trying to do specific things to target uh, bone growth, especially in uh, older people, so I thought that was actually kind of cool, and seemed to be pretty pretty interesting, at least from a biomechanics standpoint, but uh, haven't used the, the bar or anything like that, and Again, I think it goes back to, you know, what are you trying to do if you're traveling all the time and you've got a limited space? Eh, probably a cool thing to to bring with if you've got an access to a, a full gym is using some type of band setup going to be superior? I don't I don't think so. Yeah. Um, most acute hormone release stuff, yeah, hasn't panned out, right? We've had uh, Dr. Stu Phillips on here before. Uh, Dr. David West did all those original studies from Stu's lab. Granted, those are looking at testosterone, not GH, there's me i would say out of all the anabolic hormones you can try to affect with exercise and resistance training i'd say growth hormone is one of those that's a maybe like we do know that it will increase levels relatively high but it's really mixed if those levels have any effect we know for testosterone and pretty much everything else that's been studied quite in depth it doesn't seem to matter from resistance training so i would hedge my bets on that that yeah Growth hormone, I'd still say, is maybe a maybe from a, a health and maybe soft tissue perspective, but uh, even super physiologic GH from a muscle growth standpoint doesn't do much. It's Good more call. Fat loss, yeah, that type of thing. Exactly, lipolytic stuff. Yeah, fat loss yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, I think people need to realize when they see pro bodybuilders, of course, and a lot of our listeners know this, but it's the it's the polypharmacy. It's it's oh, yeah. super We're physiologic amounts, GH. right? A GH <laughs> with testosterone and then other accoutrement. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole nother realm because now you're elevating stuff that doesn't even go up normally together. So mm-hmm. who knows? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I just wanted to throw out that caveat in, in case somebody said, hey, you guys are saying tested GH don't matter. Listen, within normal physiologic ranges, right. uh, it's not going to transform you is all we're saying. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, when I talk about the usual uh, fitness tropes or even more, when, when I see someone re- constantly referring to themselves as the scientist or in this case, even be, beyond that, the Tony Stark of fitness. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, maybe you have to throw modesty out the window if you're going to get people's attention and stuff like that. I don't know. But um, obviously when someone goes on about they're a metabolic expert or a scientist, these are very vague terms. And I would just ask people to go look and see what the person's training was. You know, what are your degrees in and, you know, what your, what's your research in and, and things like that to try to validate why uh, you should be listening, I guess. So. Yeah, that's always my thing, too. It's like if someone says they're a doctor or whatever, just, you know, it should be relatively easy to figure out where they got their degree from. And, you know, if they've published anything, so if it's, they're doing a Ph.D., the assumption is you've probably got to publish some stuff. That's just part of the process and how it works. And mm-hmm. I always get a little bit leery when you can't poke around a website for a while and figure out, like, where their degree is from and you just have no idea about it or in yeah. what you know that doctor yeah, doctor of what <laughs> yeah yeah that always makes me a little nervous mm-hmm. all right well there you go gary um again it's what you're going to get from us right i know skepticism doesn't sell yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is why iron radio is tiny uh, at least as far as um like youtube and stuff like that um oh and speaking of such uh, Michelle was reminding me, you know, because of course she's understands business better than I do. And she's like, don't forget to tell people to go check out the taste test on YouTube. And, um, that's right. yeah. And you know, there's, I think there's a couple hundred views of it and that's, that's fine. You know, um, interesting stuff. Cause normally of course we just use YouTube as an audio backup and the video is getting looked at a little bit more than our, our audio only uploads. I mean, go figure people go to YouTube to see videos, but uh, let me get on to a little bit of news here uh, before we get to the mid-show break. This first one I saw floating around the web, and I even saw some commentary from Jerry Branham. And I like Jerry. He's an old-school bodybuilder. Yeah. Um, we've had him on the show before. Forever. I remember mm-hmm. reading his stuff man, totally. decades ago. Yeah, and he's sort of a science journalist, and he's you know he's he's – He's not one of these guys who's going to boast that he's the scientist Tony Stark of fitness or something like that. He's just kind of saying, you know, listen, I'm just an old school bodybuilder. I'm a science journalist. I I do the best I can to make this digestible. Uh, So even he was talking about this. And since I've been talking about hormones and um, viral infections, this is about melatonin. So I don't know if you've heard anything about melatonin and its possible role here, but uh, like in COVID-19 and whatnot, but. This was published actually back in 2013 in the Italian Journal of Pediatrics, Melatonin, Its Possible Role in the Management of Viral Infections, a brief review. Mm. So I just wanted to put this out there. I should um, offer the upfront caveat. The, I, I believe it was the Canadian Nutrition Society. They just issued a, like an infographic that said there is no food that you can eat or no supplement you can take that's going to protect you from COVID-19, but that should go without saying. At the same time, there are some things that are interesting, you know, that may help, like fish oil, so we talked about before, and reducing some of those inflammatory cytokines so you don't get your lungs, you know, all inflamed, at least as badly. 
Um, there's some interesting stuff about coconut fat and MCTs being hard on viruses. I mean, there are some different things um, that could be supportive or helpful indirectly, but obviously nothing's going to really help uh, as far as preventing it. But this is by Silvestri and Rossi. Uh, it says melatonin shows immunoregulatory free radical scavenger uh, and antioxidant functions. Because of these characteristics, melatonin has also been found to be effective in fighting viral infections in a variety of experimental a animal and in vitro, right, in a dish, models. These data suggest a possible therapeutic potential of melatonin in human virus-induced disorders. So in the intro portion, it just goes... To say what we most of us know, which is melatonin is the major neural hormone secreted by your pineal gland. Uh, it functions to help regulate circadian rhythm, right? Um, your, your body recognizing day length and whatnot. It acts in virtually every cell in an organism. Uh, melatonin has been reported to possess numerous additional functions being involved in uh, not just sleep initiation, but vasomotor control, uh, anti-excitatory actions. And of course you get drowsy when you take melatonin that's sort of the idea for a lot of people and regulating mitochondrial function now so i wanted to dig into this paper just a little bit and it's it's rather indirect but it is interesting especially because i occasionally use melatonin um, yeah you know to get to sleep and, and all that sort of thing uh modulation of the immune inflammatory process and antioxidant activity it says, besides being produced by the pineal gland, melatonin is also made by many other organs, including the gastrointestinal tract, retina, leukocytes, both in peripheral blood, uh, blood and in bone marrow. Uh, stimulated human lymphocytes. So lymphocytes are going to help defend you from uh, viruses, everybody. There's T and B cells. We don't want to go into a lecture here. But stimulated human lymphocytes synthesize and release large amounts of melatonin. Uh, melatonin produced by these non-endocrine organs is not regulated by circadian rhythms, uh, but rather responds to other signals. It says T lymphocytes, natural killer cells, eosinophils, and mast cells possess melatonin receptors. So that's, of course, suggesting that they're going to respond to melatonin. Why else would they have the receptor for it? It says melatonin administration increases the proliferative response of rat lymphocytes. So again, you multiply up, ramp up your lymphocyte protection in the presence of melatonin. Um, increases the number of natural killer cells. Stimulates the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines like interleukin-1 and TNF-alpha. And enhances phagocytosis. So again, increasing pro-inflammatory cytokines, this is why this kind of stuff is a two-edged sword, you know. Does it help your immune response, or do you end up having one of these cytokine storms where you don't want too much? But anyway, so they give one example of a protective effect of melatonin in a, a respiratory virus infection, RSV. Uh, it says, pretreatment of the animals with melatonin resulted in marked reduction of acute lung oxidative injury. And there's hmm. some interesting stuff on here. There's a nice little figure, too, in this paper. Uh, which shows a uh, melatonin decreasing lung injury, decreasing pro-inflammatory uh, cytokines, at least as far as like in this um, this model, uh, increasing antioxidant protection, uh, decreasing inflammatory cell recruitment. Again, um, in response to this viral, this lung virus, this RSV. So there is some stuff out there that you can find that melatonin may be one of those things that we're just going to dance around a little and say supportive 
potentially. Um, you know, if you're if you're fit, you exercise, you eat lots of fruits and vegetables, you get your omega threes, um, maybe some MCT oil, uh, that kind of stuff. And now add melatonin to the mix. It's just the kind of stuff a lot of people that follow a fitness lifestyle. It might set the stage in a nice way that they don't end up with a cytokine storm and on event, right? Yeah, <clears throat> I found another article that was uh, open access in Frontiers. Therapeutic Algorithm for Use of Melatonin in Patients with COVID-19. Nice. This was published uh, May 15th, 2020. Excellent. So it kind of yeah, talks a little bit about what, basically kind of what you were saying there. But it's open access, and if people want to want to read it, and it gives some nice background similar to what you talked about there too. Yep. So you can see that with melatonin. You could find a lot of stuff with, the again, the two-edged sort of testosterone. Like you don't want to be low, but maybe you don't want to be real high. Because they're suggesting the young men who get it, um, the ones that end up in the hospital, might actually be high T. So there's a, it's just constantly information coming out. In fact, the very first video that I put on YouTube uh, actually talked about hormones in COVID-19. I left it up long enough that I could make sure everything was working. And it was real information. I mean, it was an evidence base. It was a reference list and everything. But I thought, I'm not even going to leave this up because stuff comes out so rapidly on COVID-19 and what may help and what may not. And again, some of these things like testosterone are, are uh, could go either way. And uh, there's just it, it's just developing too quickly. So um, we'll leave that to you know the CDC and some of the people that are constantly got their fingers on the pulse of it, I think. Yeah, I have this, I don't know what your opinion is, but I have this fear that we're going to look back a couple of years once we maybe get a vaccine or it dies down or whatever. And I wonder how much of the data that's been forced out in such a rapid fashion, which is a good thing, is going to end up getting pulled. Because it doesn't take too long to find some stuff where you're like, how the hell did this get published? <laughs> yeah, it's true because there's a lot of speculation, even amongst researchers, right? And yeah. is it going to get replicated again and again? That's the burden of science, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm not thinking so much just reviews and yeah, it's on one hand, it's good because I don't think science has ever really moved that fast probably ever. Mm -hmm. It's definitely needed, mm -hmm. but uh, I get more worried about the quality control and all the other aspects that, that go in there too. And like you said, we don't even know how many of these will be able to be replicated from that too. So, right. Yeah. You know, when I was reading this and I actually ended up doing a mini lit review, whether it's sex hormones potentially being protective. Uh, and again, depending on which way the data ends up. Um, but a lot of this stuff, one thing that stuck out as, as far as orders of magnitude more influential was if you are pre-diabetic or diabetic, you're really Ooh, in trouble. And if good. you're obese and don't exercise, exercise actually corrects a lot of the problems with obesity when it comes to some of these cytokine storms and that kind of stuff, yeah. anti-inflammatory effects. But uh, if you're obese and pre-diabetic, you, you are um, the one paper I read said up, up to 10 times more likely to end up with a severe mm. infection. And meanwhile, the sex hormone stuff is like double, you know, um, plus or minus 100% kind of thing. But 10 times with the prediabetes and the diabetes, it's just such an inflammatory state with the high blood sugar. And I was reading all this stuff about people that are obese. They shed virus much longer. They have a much higher viral load because it, it compromises your immune system. So obviously everything that we do at Iron Radio, whether it's 
you know, thinking about superfoods that we're going to talk about after the break or exercising in general. I mean, my goodness, even if it's just starting with a morning outdoor walk. Um, yeah. It could, you know, move you in the right direction. So, okay. Yeah. So I think people forget that, like you mentioned, exercise has very positive effects on the immune system overall if done in a semi-intelligent fashion. Yes, totally. I mean, that's, I looked at the leukocytosis of exercise as part of my dissertation, and you get a nice flushing of white blood cells out of your pulmonary vasculature. You kind of tickle the bone there, oh, hey, make some more. It's very helpful. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, even though we've all been very inflamed with DOMS and muscle soreness acutely, chronically exercise has an anti-inflammatory effect. It has a nice immunoregulating effect, not to mention it makes your heart and lungs stronger. So when they're challenged, yep. you know, they're just stronger. Totally. Okay. Um, one more piece of news before we go to the uh, break here. Speaking of the immune system, this is from uh, May 12th, so uh, maybe a month or so ago. Disabling genes in, the, in immune cells prevents obesity. Now, this is wild stuff. Um, But we know, we just said, you know, if you're inflamed, um, if you're obese, you're more inflammatory and that kind of thing. And that's where they're going with this. So scientists at uh, Washington University School of Medicine are exploring the possibility of targeting obesity on a genetic level by switching off a specific gene in immune cells in mice. Basically, they stop the mice from getting obese. Uh, It says obesity and inflammation are intricately related. The number of macrophages in adipose or fat tissue uh, differs depending on an individual's metabolic status. Lean humans have around 10% of the macrophages in adipose tissue, while obese people have up to 40%. And this is a very interesting thing that I first learned at a conference many years ago, that once you are very over fat, and this isn't a, a judgment call, this is just biology, if you are very over fat to the point of obesity, you know, you hear terms like diabetes or, you know, all the inflammatory problems. The fat tissue has much more of these inflammatory macrophages embedded, and it makes it much harder to lose, essentially, right? It's just the fat that you carry if you're not obese under a microscope, the histology doesn't look the same as an obese person's adipose tissue. So that's what they're, they're trying to follow this line of thinking. Um, it says, by disabling the ASXL2 gene in macrophages, the researchers hypothesized that this would curb chronic low-grade inflammation in fat tissue and, in turn, help resist weight gain. In other words, fat gain here. Uh, it says the experimental model involved either genetically modifying macrophages in obese mice or injecting them with nanoparticles that specifically targeted and shut off ASXL2. So again, they're targeting this gene in these inflammatory macrophages that are it's embedded in the fat cells. It says, uh, interestingly, despite being fed a high-calorie diet, the treated mice burned 45% more calories than mice with active macrophage ASXL2. Um, Stephen L. Tietelbaum, MD, one of the authors, said, quote, these mice consumed high-fat diets, but they didn't get fatty livers. They don't get type 2 diabetes. 
It seems that limiting the inflammatory effects of their macrophages allows them to burn more fat, which keeps them leaner and healthier. So there you go. Um, hmm. This was Lab Roots is where I got this from. Tara Fernandez was the, uh, the science author. Actually has a PhD in cell biology. So I always like the science journalists that are <laughs> – they're not – Saying they're Tony Stark of anything. <laughs> I'm not letting that go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tony. But anyway, so interesting stuff. And I think that's kind of uh, along the lines of, like, what's an action item that you might be able to consider? Well, that's why you see stuff about how fish oils may have a, a fat loss supportive effect, right? Because they, they tend to calm inflammation and stuff like that. I've seen some interesting papers about that. Eric Noreen actually an old a doc student buddy of mine, he published some stuff on fish oils and how they helped with fat loss and stuff. And so I thought that was just cool. Yeah. I think people forget, and I talk about this in the Flex Diet Cert, is that people always think of muscle as a, a depository or a sink, which it totally is. But people forget that fat is also a sink, right? Because excess calories are going to get converted to triglycerides and fat and shoved together together and you want the ability to shove those things out of the bloodstream and into fat cells if your fat cells are no longer accepting that you run into a whole host of problems on the immune side blood levels of triglycerides go up non-alcoholic fatty liver disease goes up so you actually want healthy functioning fat cells and you want the ability to get that stuff quote-unquote out and to shove it into to fat cells and then the next question people have is, well, how do I get leaner? I think you want to increase the flux through the fat cell. So trying it to accept whatever it can to get it out of the bloodstream so you're healthier. And then increase your body's ability to use fat as a fuel, fatty acid oxidation on the other end. So you're actually just pulling more fat kind of through the fat cell as a sort of depository along the way. Yeah. I, that may have been – I didn't pull the full paper. Of course, that was just a, a science journal report. But, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, you're, they're, they were burning a lot more fat just by targeting these genes. This is going to lead one day to us saying, wait, I'm not sure I like the idea that you could just get an injection of nanoparticles, turn off this particular gene. I mean, there could be all kinds of other untoward side effects you don't know. But sure. let's say this works. Then nobody has to earn their leanness anymore. Like, right, what happens yeah. when we get to this point it becomes an almost uh, like a humanities argument instead of a science one, right? It's like, should we do this? Is this ethically wrong? <laughs> like, you know, somebody's working their ass off exercising, getting all the other benefits, like more mitochondrial mass and bigger muscles or whatever. And then this other guy gets, he looks just as lean. But I guess that happens now too. Like people, do they take some test and GH yeah. in combination and they don't exercise very heroically and they look amazing. So... I don't yeah, know. I mean, the hard part, as you know, with physiology is that there's about how many decades now, and we're just so far removed from that. I mean, we can't even get one little tiny aspect of it right, much less the you know pluritropic effect effects. Yep. Okay. Um, before we go to break, I'm just going to give you a rundown because we I've got more news in my hand, and I'm not going to read through all this. So, could we want to get to our top three superfoods? Next week, just look for some of these possible news bits. Um, potentially bad news for sucralose. So if you like your Splenda, there's some potentially bad news for it. And that makes me sad because I tend to use that. Uh, I put half a pack in my coffee and whatnot. 
Um, there is a new pre-workout coming down the pike that I just saw from the IFD, and I thought, oh, well, okay, we'll report on that. And then uh, a potential uh, science tidbit about oranges and their components fighting obesity. Uh, oh, and one last thing I'd be remiss. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about the American Society of Nutrition meeting that was done virtually this year. Uh, my students and I were going to head up to Seattle. Obviously, it was moved all online. But maybe we can give you a little report on that. There was some cool stuff there. We touched on it a little, but we'll talk about some of the research we did as well with, uh, you know, pre-workouts and HRV and um, coffee and diabetes and all of the above. So, coming at you next time. Let's go to break. We come back. Top three superfoods from me and Mike. We'll see if our lists overlap. Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it, do it now. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. <laughs> Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org 
and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, we're back. Coach Phil is away, so the nerds are at play today. It's Mm -hmm. myself, Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and we're going to do our top three superfoods. We actually did not compare lists or discuss what we had beforehand. So I'll start off with my number three is wild blueberries. Uh, There's lots of anthocyanides in them, lots of other polyphenols. Uh, pretty low, you know, carbohydrates if you're trying to keep calories low. Lots of other nutrients, you know, a good way to look at nutrient density is just different colors in food. So a lot of the colors are going to have their own kind of grouping of polyphenols. Lots of supportive data and pretty easy to find in most most grocery stores also and very tasty. Okay. Yeah, I cheated on my – I also included blueberries on my list. Um, <laughs> I said oats and berries. Um, oh, like, you're going with the two there. Yeah, because, you know, oats, of course, have the functional food aspect of all the soluble fiber. It's a low glycemic, you know, because yeah. of it. And then I make it like 50-50 with a mixed berries. I, I do both, sometimes just blueberries, sometimes like a mix of raspberries, blueberries, strawberries. Um, berries – bring different things to the table, each of them, like you were saying, the polyphenols yep. and whatnot and the antioxidants and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I always remember the story and I've told this ages ago on the podcast, I'm sure, but, uh, I was in Oxford giving a talk and every person who was speaking there when we had breakfast and, you know, these sort of, and if you're from the UK, you're probably laughing, but you know, here I'm a Yank, <laughs> right? So I'm, I mean, I'm in these dining halls it look, looks like something straight out of harry potter you know the i'm eating on a table that's 800 years old you know and <laughs> but everybody's talking about their usual breakfasts and to a person they would say yeah berries regular berries blueberries mixed berries to me i, I almost consider it like taking a supplement you know um like i'll take some phytochemical and pill form uh things but blueberries i look at as just as potent I mean, it's just one of the simple, healthiest things you can do. Oh, Mike, we should probably just kind of lay out. Sometimes the word superfood gets abused online. We just mean things that have either a phytochemical or a a richness, nutrient density, things like that. Just um, foods that people should probably put in, at least think about putting in their rotation unless they're uh, intolerant in some way. Um, Agree. let Let me just quickly add... This is a cheat because I know I said oats and berries, but the alternate that I do is I make cocoa wheats. If you guys are old enough to remember cocoa wheats, yeah. um, yeah. I may, I use oat bran and dark chocolate. Um, Ooh, like real – Hershey's has an extra dark powder, and I mix it in there and I put a scoop of whey protein, and I think that's that's a hell of a you know a power food kind of breakfast. So. You could go with some raw cacao powder, too, if you want to do that. Add a little sweetener if you wanted. True. True. All right. Next from you, my man. Next. Number two, I went with just grass-fed red meat. In theory, I probably would have put liver, but I'm trying to be somewhat realistic on foods most people (laughs) will eat. And, yes, I know, like, 
red meat versus liver is not really a comparison and liver is a lot higher and all that kind of stuff i i agree i'm not not disputing that but i'm also trying to be a somewhat of a realist too because only so many people are probably going to eat eat liver but um lots of heme iron which tends to be lower especially in female athletes high protein uh i prefer grass-fed in terms of nutritional I guess amounts, I don't think it makes a huge difference, but uh, it is kind of a different color. I like the texture better and just personally, we get it usually from a farmer. So I like supporting people that are doing a little more sustainable things and cows should be eating grass, probably not corn per se. So yeah, I just went with the grass fed uh, T-bone steak. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, the fat composition would be different um, for, yeah. for sure. Yeah, a little more CLA, you get some more essential fats. It's not a not a massive difference. Um, and if people have had it, like the first time we had it probably five years ago, uh, we got some that was the, the Highland uh, beef cattle, so kind of the old school fuzzy ones that were always kind of bred to eat grass. And the meat is just super, super dark red. It's much more almost like... Uh, not really like elk, but it's more like a wild game than the standard steaks you would buy. I mean, I really like it. I think it tastes a little bit uh, better. And then it's, I don't know. I think there's something, maybe I'm just programmed because I've been reading too much nutrition stuff about darker colors to me always seem to be a little bit better. But maybe that's just a association I've got stuck in my head. And I mean, we were able to get it from a farmer directly. So we bought half a cow at once. And I compared it to if we just went to the local grocery store and bought the same meat, but just conventional. And it came out to be almost the same price. The downside was you had to buy, you know, over 100 pounds at once, which is, you know, a little bit more money up front. But if you know you're going to do it ahead of time, you can just kind of save. And we bought an extra freezer and stuck it in there and it works out pretty good. Super dark red and almost a little bit more gamey but not not really it's not as um i guess you could say not as sweet tasting if that makes sense and then obviously your your marbling is going to be completely different it's usually substantially uh, leaner too right on yeah i sometimes i think about the sometimes i'll tell the story to students because you watch some of these documentaries and it, i think it unduly influences students but um when it you know like some of the graphic scenes they show of animals and whatnot and a lot of that's true uh but sometimes i'll think about how ludicrous it is like could you imagine seeing a cow up on its hind legs nibbling a stalk of corn you know uh, it's not right (laughs) it's not right something sounds attractive about saying corn fed beef you know but yeah i don't know i don't know about that i think that's just what people are used to they're used to that more marbling and and that kind of thing too which is just basically cow diabetes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i when you hear the stuff about how they have to pump them full of antibiotics and stuff because they're feeding them so much corn and i don't know it's all all very weird yeah and especially because they're just you know it's a the hard part is it's a whole different topic we won't go into but if you're only caring about maximal efficiency you're gonna run into all sorts of problems because of housing all the animals next to each other and and everything else and that's unfortunately where the whole economy is kind of going efficiency at all costs which i would argue is actually going to have a big cost in the end so yeah i 
we've said it before. Um, meat is going to become a luxury food. You know, um, I know saying that to a bunch of powerlifters is not going to be popular, but it's going to get so expensive. Yeah, uh, everything is, like you said, we're teetering everything on the banking on maximum efficiency. You know, have stuff done as cheaply as possible or in other yeah. countries or whatever. And then, like, look how the, the pandemic has laid a lot of that bare. We don't have any capacity or depth to deal with anything outside of this uber-efficient one plus or minus one percent range you know yeah uh it's good economically because for profits but yeah then it leaves you screwed (laughs) yeah Um, and plus i think if just in terms of just risk right you you have a lot of you know single point failure you have all these i mean look what happened with the covid and the the pork processing plants and things of that nature you know if you've got a lot of smaller more independent farms you're also mitigating your risk in a lot of ways too oh so true i mean there's something to be said just about yeah the dispersion of little guy farmers instead of everything being corporatized and yes yes indeed um what do you have for number two uh, my number two it's a food ingredient and i know you you can't take this probably you'd have to eat until your teeth turned yellow um but i like uh, curcumin, and I know we said we wouldn't do it mm. with a pill. I know you can't, as a pill, you can get a, a stronger dose, and like we're talking about, you can add, uh, you know, the black pepper, the bioparin, and all that kind of stuff to try to enhance the uptake. But cooking with, you know, turmeric, curry powder, all that kind of stuff, uh, I, I do think if you do it a lot, it's still going to add up over time. It's one of the very few phytochemicals that I'm impressed enough with that I, I actually take fairly regularly as just for the anti-inflammatory and potential cognitive kind of benefits and and that sort of thing. Uh, I suppose if you go down that rabbit hole, you could talk about resveratrol, you know, and peanuts sure. or different foods uh, as well. I'm just not as pumped up about resveratrol. I know it makes some lab animals live longer, but I, I keep getting this weird indication when I read that literature that they're – it's doing some things that I, I don't necessarily like. Um, and I'd have to go back and actually read through that some of that stuff to give you specifics on that. But there was always that little bit of weirdness with resveratrol. Like maybe we're tinkering with something that could go in a less beneficial direction. Um, and I didn't get quite as much of that out of the curcumin stuff. So I'm including that on that on my list partly because I actually take that – there's two kinds that I get off of Amazon, both from the Now Company, and I'm I'm not working for them or anything. Um, one's Curcubrain and one's Curcumin Phytosome, and they're just two different hmm. ways to help you absorb more. Um, so as as people age, and we talked about as if you're over fat, inflammation is always a problem, and it's just a nice strong food source, you know, anti-inflammatory. So kind of cheating yeah. with that one, maybe. Uh, but Maurice Bano said something about, uh, you, you know, you just can't eat enough uh, in the powder form. And I get it. I get it. Um, but if we're trying to stick to food and food ingredients, eating a lot of Indian foods and stuff like that, because of everything else that's involved as well, uh, not bad. Not bad for the anti-inflammatory thing. Yeah, I've been testing a product that has a little bit of coconut oil, turmeric, curcumin, uh, what else? Ginger, black pepper, so one other thing I'm forgetting in there, and it's in the liquid, and I don't know. I haven't noticed like a a huge difference per se. I mean, I think it probably helps, but I didn't have a lot of 
joint pain or a lot of high inflammation beforehand either. I just thought I would try it for a period of weeks, see if I noticed any difference. So, yeah. Right on. Um, okay, what's number three for you? Uh, so I had his number one, so third on the list, but in the number one spot, I had uh, Alaskan sockeye salmon. Oh, nice. You get a good source of essential fatty acids, right? Omega-3s, EPA, DHA specifically, right? Your classic fish oils, um, lots of protein. That's a, a wild source because, unfortunately, the farm-raised versions are now paradoxically low in fish oils because of the feed source, and that's a whole other issue. Mm-hmm. And then, again, sticking with the theme of kind of colors here, uh, you do get some of uh, astaxanthin in there, yeah, which is a red carotenoid. It's one of those I've looked at for quite a while, like maybe like five years ago, I even proposed it as part of a fat burner to a company. That was based on mostly animal data. Like the animal data was like really impressive, showing longer swim times, dramatic increases in the use of fat as a fuel. It's not a stimulatory, it actually has some uh, benefits in other tissues, especially in uh, eye muscle metabolism, skin, possibly wrinkles. Um, but the human performance data on it hasn't really panned out all that well. Um, but it doesn't seem to spin off a lot of free radicals either, even in pretty high doses. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one of those that more research keeps coming out. I think it's it's interesting. And uh, red-colored fish are probably like the, the best source of it. You can get it in krill and other things like that too. But yeah. man... You would need to eat a ton of krill. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Uh, well, first, let me say, Mike, you're, you're, this is a too neutral and too sober, you scientist. <laughs> you're not selling it hard. Like, this is very, like, know, you know. I got to have stock and astaxanthin calm. and sell the shit out of that stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Be the Tony Stark of astaxanthin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not letting that go today. Um, but, um Especially because of the people I know in fitness, you're probably the closest to that with your engineering background and everything. Anyway, um, yeah, there's some astaxanthin in the krill oil. I throw in a couple of krill oil along with my my triple strength, like EPA, DHA-focused yeah. pills. It's not probably enough to do much, you know, but I just think, well, it's not going to hurt. I'll trickle it in like so many things. I mean, in our house, we kind of take that approach even with meds. Like if I can take – half a packet of Splenda or half a, a dose of ibuprofen or half an aspirin. I try to get away with that. I don't want to sound like I'm oh, some, sure. you know, um, what are the uh, some of those groups that, you know, they're anti-medicine altogether. And I'm not at all. I just don't oh, want yeah. to, you know, down-regulate and numb myself or overdo it, you know, like, uh, like people talk about how um, Tom Cruise. Oh, Scientology. Will, Scientologists. Um, yeah. yeah, you could tell I'm not I, – I, don't follow that stuff but yeah it's like they they won't take medicines at least reportedly and some of this stuff and i'm like oh boy Oof. i don't know it's yeah. not what i'm trying to do but anyway so by the same token when i get some nutrients again like astaxanthin i think well i'll trickle it in is is it a efficacious acute dose no you know but uh if it's something that's already in my krill oil all right little bonus and to your point you know they're nice little red things so yeah, yeah. I do take astaxanthin more before I go on a kiteboard trip if I'm going to be outside a lot. Yes. And mm-hmm. eh, 
I don't know. I haven't seen any data looking at reduction of possibly head trauma risk, but in theory it might um, because it's such a good antioxidant. It does appear to be sort of pseudo water and fat soluble. I haven't looked to see if it crosses a blood brain barrier. Mm -hmm. um, and then also because I'm in the sun a fair amount, I have noticed that pretty light skin that it does seem to reduce the risk of me kind of burning in, just in case. So I figure, eh, yeah, doesn't appear to be too many downsides. Again, I'm not using it in place of, you know, covering up or wearing sunscreen, but as an additional line of protection, I think it's eh, something I usually do just to give it a go. Yeah, I've even seen uh, fish oils, right? EPA, DHA mm -hmm. serving a little bit of protective thing against like, uh, you know, sunburn and whatnot. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, what dose do you take of the astaxanthin? Just asking. Yeah, so I take it kind of periodically and actually gone up in the dose so i take anywhere from eight to 12 milligrams oh, like wow. five out of seven days per week mm -hmm. which is pretty high that seems high yeah like most of the stuff i've seen lately appears at least in humans be going to a higher and higher uh dose on it interesting and i haven't seen anything that has a negative effect at at that dosage. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Last thing, too, there's some very interesting data about astaxanthin helping people who have kind of eye fatigue or even dry eyes because the eye muscles are super oxidative and they spin off a lot more free radicals. Mm -hmm. so I've used that in a few clients who just have just weird sort of eye fatigue we can't quite uh, figure out. Obviously, they've gone to their physician, everything is fine, and again, anecdotal, but appears to help with that, too. So people have that going on. Right on. Uh, okay, we're winding down here. Coffee, I mentioned that earlier. Um, obviously, there's hundreds of, of antioxidant type of bioactives, you know, in coffee. Chlorogenic acid, probably the main one. Uh, and that's what we're interested in, like trying to enhance carbohydrate metabolism, even in younger people, uh, if we can. Uh, the two-edged sword with coffee, of course, is that the caffeine – if it overstimulates like epinephrine or norepi release or, you know, your uh, sympathetic drive, it's actually going to harm, if you will, blood sugar. It's going to raise blood sugar acutely. But that's where this stuff with uh, – and if you read this stuff even through 2020, there almost seems to be this discrepancy where acutely coffee – and we give both decaf and regular coffee but uh, to try to control for the caffeine thing. But acutely, sometimes you'll see different effects. Um better or worse as far as blood sugar uh, coming down. Chronically, though, there's more agreement, uh, I would think, that probably, the, the again, the slow trickle-in of these uh, phytochemicals like the chlorogenic acid uh, probably add up over time. And, and let's face it, it's not just blood sugar control. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, um, coffee's dopaminergic, so it could help reduce Parkinson's mm -hmm. uh, by kicking out some dopamine there that maybe wasn't uh, coming earlier, you know, without it. Uh, just a lot of things. So I think coffee is going to be on my list. I mean, I researched that stuff for a reason. I'm fascinated by it. It's a cheap, you know, well, potentially cheap uh, way to get some serious antioxidants, maybe help your blood sugar, probably help brain activity too. There's the obvious attention. And uh, Mike and I were talking when we were off mic just a moment ago about how a lot of the pre-workouts and stuff like that, they lean very heavily on caffeine. It's a good drug in itself. Uh, a, a lot of the stimulants they've come out with, uh, 
they tend to have a downside in some way or they're more easily abused and and caffeine of course you can hurt yourself with it if you if you're really stupid um but yeah i think coffee is just this nice mix of things and of course it's got a lot of phytochemicals i mean what is it it's crushed up beans you know coffee yeah. bean berries that you run water through either cold or hot water depending what you want to extract from them so was that number three or is that number one Oh, I'm sorry. My best, right? My num- your number best, one. Your top one. So, yeah. oh, well, it depends. I mean, in in gross intake, I probably eat the oats and berries the most. Sure. You know, um, but yeah, coffee fa- fascinates me the most, and again, that's why I research it. Right. I just think even for a pre workout, it's one of the best things you can do. I know it sounds a little hippy dippy for me to say just go for the natural food source. <laughs> um, if you want to get the extra caffeine and you're like, oh, to hell with the, you know, the blood sugar right now, Lowry, I, I got to squat 500 pounds. Okay, well, maybe get some um, Robusta beans, you know, Death Wish or something, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, but, I always find that that kind of stuff is fascinating. Just the amount of polyphenols and stuff like uh, coffee, uh, wine, you know, even cannabis, you know, just other things that are kind of consumed and all how they're so sensitive to you know where it's grown what were the conditions how is it processed what type of bean the genetics and just all the different variations we have of just both the raw material and the process you end up with all these slight uh, variabilities and subtleties to it it's just it's way more complicated than you would expect it to be from the outside just looking in yeah yep Totally. I mean, there's whole papers on some of this stuff, you know, that you can dig this. You can go really deep into this rabbit hole. Um, I do want to add an honorable mention. Um, and because it's controversial, just food for thought, right? But I think tomatoes are very interesting. Um, mm. There is stuff, because some people, of course, are anti-tomatoes. They're like, oh, nightshade, it's going to make your joint seize uh, up. And yeah. they're all these kinds of, you know, things that I've, I've heard people talk about. I've heard some chiro- chiropractors talk about that. But the upside... Uh, is again, there's a lot of interesting colors to our point uh, before and phytochemicals in tomatoes, not only in preventing prostate problems, but even treating them. And I think that's very interesting stuff. Hmm. Um, so the tomatoes, lidocaine? they see, yeah, exactly. They, they seem to have a, enough potency to even be used in a treatment kind of way, according to at least uh, some papers. Um, and you know, if you're on a low carb diet or that kind of thing, it's not they're not a high carbohydrate, starchy kind of vegetable, you know. And it, so I'll throw some like uh, salsa on my eggs, and, like fresh salsa. Um, I don't know. It's just like I said, little honorable mention, especially because it's controversial. Some people would like that approach, some wouldn't. But I think uh, some of the interesting stuff as I get older, you know, when I hear stuff about, and again, you men out there. You might not have heard about this, but when you're young, your prostate's quite small, you know, like walnut sized. By the time you're my age, it's probably, you know, between golf ball and <laughs> apple. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm exaggerating a little, but it naturally gets bigger over time. And eventually you're going to have a problem with urine flow and that kind of stuff. And I just I want to avoid that. You know, I just want to avoid that, especially you guys who have if you've used testosterone uh, throughout your lives and that kind of stuff, you know, that's the kind of thing you're going to have to keep an eye on. So just saying, um, yeah. So I, Mike, I, I'm unfair if I don't give you that chance though. Would, <laughs> is there an honorable mention for out of you? Um, uh, I would say honorable mentions a tie between either broccoli or spinach, you know, just some, 
Green food, usually green foods have higher levels of magnesium. A lot of people are low in magnesium. They just don't get enough. And lots of polyphenols, lots of good fiber, super low calorie if you're especially trying to reduce calories. Yeah. So if I had to go with the honorable mention, it'd be kind of a tie between those two. Yeah, I'm totally down with the broccoli as well. And I I purposely eat spinach as well. Yep. Yep. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I mean, everybody, we're not going to give you a meal plan, but the more you can at least look into these and consider them. And again, if you're not intolerant in some way, um, probably the better quality your diet is going to be. Like I said, lots of these phytochemicals or nutrient density, like Mike's talking about magnesium and things like that. So it could be vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals. These are high on the list. And, and this is from two guys who, you know, we, we've looked at this for a long time. And these are personally things we do. So, yeah. And then now there's even a backlash against vegetables of all things, which I find crazy. And and I get it. If you have a pathology, you've got SIBO, you need low FODMAP, or you've got digestive issues. Yeah, I I get it. There's a time and place. You probably need to pull some of those things out. But I would say at a population level, people are confused now and think vegetables are bad. Just seems crazy to me yeah it really <laughs> depends i think who you're running with because the, the yeah. food technology magazines i get every month there's a big spread about plant foods plant foods and i think the documentary the game changers i think it was that arnold did and uh it, it just confused the issue even more you know yeah. um eat plants all the time only plants all the time and i don't think that's good either, but you're right. Yeah. If, you're, if you're running with the carnivore crowd, you're right. You're going to get really mixed messages, and that's why we're boring and balanced here. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny that this fitness world is like so extreme. So you've got you have to be vegan and eat, increase only plants, and then you've got carnivore that's like, no, don't eat those vile weeds. What are you doing? They're horrible for your health. Vile weeds. Middle are <laughs> like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, nutrigenetics is part of the problem with all this, right? Because people are going to respond yeah. better to one thing or another, and you're just going to have to experiment a little bit um, and learn as much as you can. Yep. All right. Well, we are out of time. So thanks, my man. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And See you next we'll time, be back next week. Right on. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. 
So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums, and certainly you can request products, and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters – the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.